Hey there, I'm just adding a last minute note to this episode. If you open up iTunes or the Apple Podcast app right now as this episode comes out, you will see that Love Your Work is featured this week in Apple Podcasts. Uh, You might have to switch through a couple of the graphics on top to see it, and you'll probably see my face uh, right now. It's somewhere between RuPaul and Mark Zuckerberg, and no, that's not a joke. I'm serious. Uh, I just wanted to thank all of you for subscribing and reviewing the show uh, over the last year and a half because it helps stuff like this happen, and honestly, I thought that to get the show featured, I would have to get someone mainstream on the show, like like Justin Bieber or a Kardashian or something like that. But I am very pleasantly surprised that Apple decided to feature last week's episode with chocolatier Danny Mikowitz. Uh, if you haven't checked out that episode, you should. The episode turned out great, obviously. Or maybe you're here because of that feature graphic, in which case, welcome to Love Your Work. It's great to have you here. And um, this whole thing is is very fitting with the theme of this week's episode because it goes to show you that if you stick with what is interesting to you instead of trying to be something that you're not, sometimes it resonates with others. And it's a great feeling when that happens. I feel that right now. I hope that you feel it too a little bit. And uh, okay, on with the show. If you dream for the wrong reasons, it can make you lose touch with reality. This is Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. I'm here to help you cut out the noise to focus. Some of you already know that I'm writing a new book. Getting Art Done will help you overcome resistance and bring your work into the world. I had much of my own resistance to fight to get this book project underway. I spent three months working on a book proposal, then I failed to get a literary agent. And that was a tough blow, but What really flipped the switch for me was the conversation I had with Seth Godin. You'll be able to hear that entire conversation with Seth next week, so be sure that you're subscribed. And this episode here is about embracing your independence, and FreshBooks is a great tool for keeping your business running so you can stay in touch with your creative identity. FreshBooks has been completely rebuilt from the ground up. It's not just beautiful, but the back end has been redesigned too. FreshBooks makes it easy to send beautiful invoices to your clients, It also has time tracking, it pulls in your bank account data, it categorizes your expenses, it will even collect payment from your clients. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash loveyourwork and enter loveyourwork in the how did you hear about us section. Here's the article. Why I Won't Write a New York Times Bestseller. Like most writers, at one point in time, I aspired to be a New York Times bestselling author. That is no longer a goal of mine. In fact, with my new book, I'm forfeiting any chance I might have had for it to be a New York Times bestseller. My first book did well for what it was. It was a niche book on a niche topic, and it managed to debut in the top 20 on all of Amazon. Now, six years later, that success has come back to haunt me. I still haven't written my second book. Part of what has held me back is that I got really lucky with my first book. I've learned a lot about the book business since then. Mostly, I've learned that I didn't know anything about positioning and marketing a book, much less getting a book deal. However, everything just kind of fell into place for me. 
The other thing that has held me back is the pressure to follow up my modest success with an even bigger one. If I've had one book in the top 20 on Amazon, that must mean that the next one has to hit number one on Amazon. Better yet, it should be a New York Times bestseller. I had to start from scratch learning how to get a book deal. Remember, my first one fell in my lap. I read books on the process, identified the right agents for my book, and spent months writing a proposal. Then all of those agents rejected my book idea. I got some useful feedback from those agents, and I began revisiting my proposal. It was taking longer than expected. I could hardly muster the motivation. Then I realized something. The process of traditional publishing, the traditional publishing required to end up on the New York Times bestseller list, is not me. The more book blurbs and book proposals I read, the more I was turned off by traditionally published books. The bios are filled with credibility triggers, such as staff writer at The New Yorker, professor at Stanford University, or product designer at Google. Things like these sell books to publishers. They help them feel safe that they may earn back their advance. Who knows? Maybe I'm just insecure about other people's accomplishments. You could argue that, and I would have no way of proving you wrong. But I've actually designed my life and work around not fitting in with the big players, or in your best teen angst voice, the establishment. I've never even considered going to an Ivy League university and probably wouldn't have gotten in. I fled Silicon Valley in 2008 when what I saw as delusional and myopic techno-optimism had already gotten out of hand. I even left the United States to live in Colombia. Yes, you could point at my credibility triggers such as having one decently successful book or helping to add productivity features to Google Calendar and call me a hypocrite. The thing is, I have no problem with working with the establishment, but it has to come in the natural course of following my curiosities. Curiosity is the compass that has led to any accomplishments that I'm proud of. Pursuing titles and authority triggers just clouds the path curiosity lays out. Whenever I've talked about my struggles in landing my second book deal, the response I got was, why not self-publish? Because I usually got this question from people who didn't know much about the book business. I thought this was naive. Most people outside of publishing don't appreciate everything a publisher does for an author. Not only do they take care of editing, proofreading, and typesetting, they also bring a wealth of expertise and understanding on how to package a book. Why do people buy books and recommend them to friends? How does a particular book idea fit into the market? But when I discussed this with Seth Godin for my podcast, episode forthcoming next week, something he said changed my mind. On the Skype window on my laptop, I watch as Seth motioned at the wall of books behind him. If you look behind me, there's all these bestsellers. Every one of them was a surprise. There's no one in book publishing who can point to a book from a new author and say, this one's going to sell a million copies. If they were that smart, they wouldn't need the author. They would just go to the people who are going to be bestsellers. I realized that reaching for another book deal, asking permission to do something I don't need permission to do is against everything I stand for. When you self-publish, you pretty much forfeit what tiny chance your book had of landing on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't know a lot about how the list works, other than there are certain physical retail stores that report the numbers. Some authors use this knowledge to strategically buy their way onto the list. In any case, if you're not traditionally published, you have no chance of hitting those shelves. Here's why I won't write a New York Times bestseller. One, don't treat your ideas like caged birds. Traditional publishing makes you think writing a book should take two years. I don't need that long. In fact, I can't wait to finish this book 
so I can start writing the next one. When you imagine a project to be a bigger deal than it needs to be, it can just paralyze you. Two, there's always tomorrow. What has boosted my creative output more than anything is the mentality that there's always tomorrow. Today's output doesn't have to be perfect because today's output makes tomorrow's better. It sounds like a sloppy mentality, but the surprising side effect is your work gets better. Maybe this book won't be a hit, but that's okay because there's always the next book. Three, if it's good, it will spread. A conversation I had with Nirial helped change my mind about self-publishing. He self-published his book and sold so many copies, he then got a book deal for the hardcover version of Hooked. This is rare, but if the book isn't good enough to spread, at least you haven't wasted two years bringing it into the world. Four, I don't need New York Times bestselling author in my bio. I don't aspire to a five-figure speaking fee. I don't have a consultancy to promote, and I don't want to be on TV. Much like my decision to not join a podcast network, this isn't meant to be some chest-pounding declaration of my independence. Maybe I'll traditionally publish a book again someday. It's even possible that a book deal will fall into my lap again. This also isn't like my declaration that I'll never be a billionaire. You don't become a billionaire by accident. It's quite possible that in the course of writing as many books as my brain has in it, one could accidentally be a bestseller. But I will not decide what to write, nor how to get it published, based upon the goal of being on a list of dubious merit. All I want to do is pursue what interests me and share what I'm learning along the way. Hopefully, I'll shape a few minds to be more thoughtful, more content, more brave, and more real. But I can't do that unless I start with myself. I hope hearing my thought process about staying true to my creative identity helps you find your own creative voice. I love being an independent creator because it helps me bring you a show that's real. You can help support the show and get early access to Love Your Work episodes before anybody else. That includes the upcoming Seth Godin episode, which is available right now. Just go to cadavy.net slash premium for details. That's cadavy.net slash premium. And if you want to hear more about staying independent, check out episode six with Adrian Holovati. He sold his company, Every Block. And after watching it get shut down, he learned to stay independent with his next company, Sound Slice. And you have and, to care about it. And how can you work that hard if it's not something you care about? Right. And then bring along with that, well, if you care about it so much. Why do you want to get rid of it someday and flip it? Right. Yeah, exactly. And if you appreciate all the work that goes into making this show, there are a couple of ways you can help support it. One is to subscribe, 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 subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just hit the subscribe button. Another is to rate the show on iTunes. Just go to cadavy.net slash iTunes and click on write a review and click on the star rating. You don't even have to write a review. It just takes a couple of seconds. And do you like books? If you do, I'd love to send you my book recommendations. About 90% of them will be nonfiction on subjects spanning from biographies to neuroscience. Just go to cadavy.net slash reading, sign up, and you'll get my first set of recommendations right away. You'll be supporting the show if you buy any of those books through the links in the email. This has been Love Your Work, and I'm David Cadavy. The theme music for the show is More Streets, performed by Spider Flower. Love Your Work is a production of Cadavy, Inc.